right. Point two. The goodness of possessions. The goodness of possessions. Secondly, the reality of stealing. It's Halloween. Let's relax. Okay. Um, and so, so the goodness of possessions, the reality of stealing. Look at these passages, and here's an observation that I want to make. And it's really obvious, but sometimes I think we often, when we look at our Bibles, we overlook the obvious. And this, here's the first question. Who's the Ten Commandments written to? The Hittites? The Canaanites? The Malachites? The Philistines? All these pagan nations that don't believe in God and... God's telling them not to steal? No. It's written to God's people. And the commandments are binding on us today. So they're written to us. Think about the Ephesians passage. Is it written to the citizens in Ephesus? Or is it written to the church and to Christians? I say that because at first glance, our thought is, yeah, thieves, that's right, don't steal. What are you doing? That's our first reaction. And rarely do we stop and say, no, wait a minute. I need to stop stealing. You see, most of us feel pretty confident that we do not steal because we think of stealing in the obvious forms, don't we? Armed robbery, breaking and entering, carjacking, None of us in this room will steal in that way, ever, probably. But we will just steal in very subtle ways. We will steal in very under, underhanded ways, in mundane ways, and we do it every single day. And we'll do it and be tempted to do it in the future. What are some of those ways? Well, here are just a few. Do you ever think about how we steal time from people? How when we're late for meetings and late for class and late for appointments that we're actually stealing someone's time? That's really what's happening there? Or do you ever think about when you don't do your best work in the classroom and you give half of an effort that you're actually, what's happening, and there's a sense in which you're stealing from your parents or if you're on scholarship from the university that's actually paying money for you to be in school? I was talking to Mary Catherine and George today, and they said, well, do you ever thought about how we steal moments from people? And I was like, I do that every day. You ever think about how we steal people's moments? Like we're in a circle of people, and someone tells a joke, and we want the attention on ourselves, and so we try to get it on ourselves, and we'll either take over the conversation, or we'll tell them more of a joke that's more funny than that one, or... If maybe one of your friends says, hey, I've got some very good news that I want to share with you, something really exciting going on in my life, or something really significant, and they sit down with you, and they want to tell you about what's going on in their life, but all you do is say how miserable you are. And what is that doing? Well, that's actually bringing it back on yourself, and you're stealing that person's moment. We steal when we're in class and we check Facebook in Twitter, in social media, in text, in the internet, because we're stealing people's time. When you graduate, you will be tempted to bill hours that you did not work. 
Friends, that day is coming for many of you. You'll be tempted to take long lunch breaks. You'll be tempted to call in sick days when you weren't sick at all. That is stealing time because you're not doing a job that you're actually getting paid to do, and the Bible calls that stealing. Then there's the obvious, you know, especially with college students, cheating and stealing ideas and plagiarism and cheating on tests and turning in assignments that you didn't do. And then there is the, what I call sanctified stealing, and that is, can I borrow that? And, and you know, borrowing, when, I, when you stop and think about it, that is just a way that we can be a thief without, without ha- having to feel like a thief. And so we just say, hey, can we borrow that? And we never give it back. That's stealing. What about the extra change that you get back from a cashier and you know you got back more than you, you know, should have and you just go? I remember when I was in college, I had a, there was a formal that I was going to and I had a white shirt that I took to the cleaners and it was like, what, what's a shirt at the cleaners, three or four dollars, something. I gave the lady a five dollar bill and she, for some reason, gave me back a 20. And I didn't really know it until later. Well, I, I get about halfway out of the parking lot and I stop and I think about turning around and then here's what I say. It's her fault. She's, yeah, she just messed up. And so I just totally justified it and kept on driving. I stole the 20 bucks. I'm a thief. And we do mundane things like that every single day without thinking twice about it. But let's get a little closer to home, okay? It shows up big time on the college campus and in the world we live in today with our technology in the realm of software and in the realm of music. I mean, how easy is it to get a new computer and know that someone down the hall has got Microsoft Office or, you know, Photoshop or some expensive program, and then just to say, hey, can I, can I put that on my computer? And then just to load it up. It's just easy, isn't it? I mean, you think about music. I read an article as I was studying for this uh, from Rolling Stone, 2006. One, mil- one billion... That is correct. Billion songs are downloaded. This was 2006. Every single month, illegally from the internet. One billion songs, every single month, illegally downloaded from the internet. And that doesn't even include, here's a CD, if you like it, you can import it into your iTunes. That didn't even include that. That's strictly talking about the internet. Think about how much money is being stolen just from that, from the record industry. And it's easy to do, and when, you know, just think about it. I mean, how many times have we just said, hey, this is one of my favorite groups, it's new, if you like it, just burn it, it'll be fine. And one of the guys that was interviewed in this article actually said, they said, well, how do you justify this? And here's what he said, so many people do it. And quite frankly, 
the risks are just so low. I mean, that's true, isn't it? I mean, listen, nobody's going to wake you up in the middle of the night and pull you to jail and say, you downloaded the Avert Brothers CD illegally. And so we're throwing you in jail. That's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. But you're still a thief. The Bible says that that is stealing. So how are we doing? Are you a thief? Well, I've already admitted that I'm a thief, and it's more than just the ways that I've mentioned. And so what do we do? Well, the Bible says that we should repent. What does repentance look like? You cannot do a sermon on this without talking about Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus and Jesus. Because it's one of the clearest pictures of repentance in this area that the Bible lays out for us. Remember Zacchaeus? He's a tax collector. And he worked for the Roman government. And he charged taxes. And they had this just flat rate of taxes. But the tax collectors were allowed to add a surcharge or a surface charge of any amount that they wanted to. And so they're making bank. And they're padding their pockets off of other people. They're stealing from people. They're abusing people. They're taking advantage of people. And Jesus comes to down, and you remember Zacchaeus climbs the tree. He sees Jesus, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming over to your house. And he comes to his house, and he sees Jesus face to face. And he actually changes. He actually repents. Remember what he says? He says, half of everything I own, I will give to the poor. And he doesn't stop there. Anyone I have defrauded, I will pay back fourfold. Zacchaeus met Jesus and learned of his goodness and his mercy and his grace, and he repented. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 2. It's not God's wagging finger that leads to repentance. It's not God saying straighten up. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says it's the kindness of God. It's the mercy and the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so what does that mean for us? Well, repentance, if we look at Zacchaeus, here's what it means. If we truly repent and we see Jesus, it means that we might have to repay some things. It means that you might have to leave some money back on your roommate's desk that you took without them knowing it, thinking they would never miss it. It might mean that money needs to be sent anonymously in an envelope. It might mean that you need to pay for the songs that you downloaded, and if you can't pay for them, then you need to erase them. But whatever it means, it means that we are to pursue our neighbor in love rather than taking advantage of them. The goodness of possessions, the reality of stealing, and the call to generosity. Remember last week we talked about this positive-negative aspect of the commandments, that they have a positive-negative aspect. And so when we look at this commandment, it has the same. Not only is this commandment condemning the taking of things and the wrongful taking of things, but it's also condemning wrong-keeping. What does that mean? Well, 
It means that we also are guilty of breaking this commandment if we see someone around us and we have the ability to help them and they're in need and they're poor and they need something and we just walk on by and ignore them and do nothing, then we've broken this commandment. What that means is that Jesus' people are called to be generous. We're called to be givers. Look at verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his hands, so whatever his work may be, so that, not so that he can have the American dream and live in a nice house with 2.5 kids and a great wife and ride out into the sunset with a 401k and retire at the beach. So that, what? Let him work so that he may give his money away. So that he may share with anyone who has need. And here's why this blew me away, because I'm not sure I think about it that way. Think about what this is saying. Have you ever thought about your work that way? And that your job that you're going to get when you get out of college. That God gives you a job when you graduate so that you may make money to share with people who are in need. Friends, that is so countercultural. That so pushes against the way we were raised and everything in us because we go to a great school and get a good education to get a great job, to have financial security, and to live happily ever after. That's what we do. And is that wrong? No. Money's not wrong. Having financial security is not wrong. Having a nice house. All those things. Having a good retirement. None of those is wrong. But here's what I'm trying to say. If that is our vision and sole vision for our lives, the Bible said that that must change. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, that part of your life vision includes giving your stuff away. It involves giving people who are in need. Because at the heart of what it means to be a Christian is generosity. And this starts now. This starts today, like while we're in college. Do people, would they say you're a generous person? Would your friends and the people around you say that you're a generous person? Are you giving your stuff away? Are you giving to the poor and to the needy? We talk a lot about in RUF and about mercy ministries and about the needs in our community. And, and do we need to keep talking about that? Yes. Absolutely, we do. We need more tutors. We need more people helping with Kids Club. We need more people going to Graceland Retirement Home and playing bingo. We need more people uh, taking meals to the homebound. All of those are absolutely true. But let's take it a little bit closer to home. How are we being generous with our peers and with the, the classmates of ours here at Ole Miss? What would it look like for us to be known as a campus ministry that is actually known for generosity? Well, it might mean that you study hard in a particular class that you're pretty good at that comes naturally, but you still have to work. But that you study hard so that you're free to go freely tutor other people that might need help in the class. That might be one way we're generous. 
Or it might mean that you realize that not everyone at Ole Miss has money and that some people have a hard time buying their books every semester. And so it might mean that you and a couple of people get together and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is having to work extra jobs and everything just to buy their books. What do you say we buy their books this semester? And you just anonymously show up at their doorstep, put the box down, and they open and find the books that they need for that semester. That's a way. Or what about you know that somebody wants to go on an RUF conference and you know they can't afford it, and so you provide the scholarship for them. The ways that we can be generous are endless, and there are tons of ways for us to practic practically uh, practice generosity with the people in this very room. The goodness of possessions, the reality of stealing, the call to generosity, and thirdly and finally, the end of stealing. So how do we change? How do we become takers? I'm sorry, not takers. <laughs> how do we become givers instead of takers? Well, Keller says that we have to change our heart, but we also have to change our motive. And that comes, and change comes, when we realize how generous God has been with us. When we realize that we're the poor, that we are the needy, that we are the ones that have nothing to offer God. That we're not rich enough, that we're not smart enough, that we're not connected enough, that we're not powerful enough, that we're not good enough. We have nothing to offer, but yet Jesus has offered us everything. You see, becoming generous comes when we realize that we're needy. Because unless we realize that we're needy, then we're always going to help people out of pity. And we're always going to help people out of pride and arrogance and strength rather than helping people out of the mercy and the grace that God has so freely given us. And so the motive for generosity is the grace of God. Friends, the cross is what makes you generous. The cross of Christ. You want to become generous, we've got to stop looking at our money, stop looking at our stuff, Stop looking at ourselves and look at Jesus because when we look at the cross, here's what we see. That God wasn't stingy with us. That God didn't hold out on us. That God actually gave all. He gave everything, even down to his very life. And when we get that and begin to see and look at Jesus, what will happen is our stinginess will start to melt away because we will see that if Jesus gave his very life, then he's not going to withhold any good thing from us. I mean, think about it. Isn't that really the heart of stealing is we, we think Jesus is holding out on us. We don't think he's really good. We don't think that uh, he's going to give us what we need, and so we take and so that's the heart of stealing. And if he gives his very life, isn't that proof that he's not holding out on us and, and will not withhold any good thing? Remember when Jesus was crucified. He was crucified between two thieves. And remember before one of the thieves died, he looked over to Jesus and he said, Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus looked and said, today you will be with me in paradise. 
You see, it's as we are willing to admit we are thieves and look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, then we will become generous. Because it's only as we look at the cross and see God's generosity with us. You see, then and only then will you and I become generous. Generous people that are willing to freely give to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel and for not withholding any good thing from us. I pray that you would help us to believe that. Uh, Lord, we don't believe that, and in essence, that's why we steal in so many ways, is because we don't believe you're truly good. And I pray that you would convince us of that tonight, even as we sing this last song. Uh, Remind us that your blood covers us, and may that goodness... Uh, change us. Uh, Father, forgive us for the ways that we break this commandment. And I pray that we wouldn't despair, but we would actually receive your mercy and grace and be changed and rejoice that you have forgiven us and that you are good to us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.